0: I grew up on the west side of Detroit on Six Mile and Schaefer. I went to Cass Tech High School. I am a nerd at heart, but because I'm from the west side of Detroit, I'm a little hood. (laughs) I'm a little hood underneath um, all the glitz and glam. So that's a little bit about my upbringing. It was, you know, growing up in Detroit was very colorful. There is so much creativity that comes out of, the city that really inspired my youth. There are so many great creatives as well that came out of Detroit that it gave me very positive influence that I could succeed in things that I wanted to, to achieve in my life as a young person whilst also living through the dichotomy of how dangerous and violent the city can be sometimes. There are certain aspects of the city that were very challenging for me to grow up in, but there was I don't I don't want to make this a negative like response but um what what it was as well as there was this silver lining of creativity that, that really inspired me. Um like I'm looking at the the graffiti on the wall behind you and part of my youth in Detroit was actually being a tagger. I used to go around the city with my friends and we used to spray paint like abandoned <laughs> abandoned houses and abandoned buildings. While I'm not in complete agreement with that now in my life. At the time, it was some sort of underground creative outlet that we could kind of like get our teenage angst out with. And alongside that is this beautiful subculture in Detroit that was b-boy dancing and lyricism that went along with it. You know, like we were hanging out with all the, all the B-boys and all like the underground rappers going to the shelter and such. And yeah, St. Andrews and um, sneaking into clubs and such like that. Really being inspired by this underground culture in Detroit that actually went alongside with the the house music and the techno that was coming out of the city at the time as well. So uh, my parents are musicians. They introduced me to a lot of other very prominent musicians that came out of Detroit, Marcus Belgrave, Roy Brooks, Andy Garcia, and those were really amazing experiences that I had and memories that I hold very dear to my heart. Like my parents would play the uh what was it called, the Detroit Jazz Festival every year and they'd be on the main stage with their band downtown at Hart Plaza and you know, my parents got divorced so the band broke up, but my mom went on to sing in other capacities, and my dad went on to play music with other musicians. One of those musicians was Carl Craig, who started the Detroit Electronic Music Festival at the time, which is now called Movement. And I remember being a teenager meeting Carl and running around the electronic festival when I was a teenager and was spray paint cans on my backpack and you know just being like a typical teenager. I never thought that I would grow up and be this world's recognized international model that Why? was a very long answer but you can take like no with-
1: no 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 that was a beautiful answer because I grew up inside the city of Detroit as well and I went to King High School okay <laughs> <laughs> my brother went to Kaz and um but it was very interesting to say at least like you said like growing up on the west side and Trumbull, I grew up in Re- Research Park a little bit and then I moved over to um, Jefferson and Connors on the east side. So I, I, I went over there and I think my mom, I don't know how she did it, but she gave me an appointment to meet the people, I don't know, at the at, at, um, King High School. So I was able to speak with them. and But I was always in upper bound because somebody in Detroit believed in me. And you know, like when you live in Detroit, it's real easy to get into trouble. So like you said, like St. Andrews. And then did you ever go to Canada a lot and go to those hip hop clubs?
0: Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you say there was always someone believing in you, I really love that there the sense of community around the youth in Detroit. There are a lot of programs that really cater to young people and helping uh, instill confidence and help them build their Their creative tools to be able to navigate the world. I was part of also the Detroit youth summer program, the summer youth program. I'm not sure if that's still around, but I did that every year. We put on plays and productions and I was dancing and doing ceramics and all the things. And then when I was about 15 or 16, Brianna Furnish who has a company called Ballet Renaissance this did a weekend workshop at CAS the uh, on the stage at Cass Tech, and I and I was I really wanted to be a dancer so I started um I took the class with her the workshop and she just fell in love with my talent and my potential to be a performer and she gave me a wonderful scholarship it was an exchange though I had to work for it I would she would Teach me in the evenings at Wayne State University. After I got finished with school, I would go over to Wayne State University, take her ballet classes at night, and then on the weekends I would go and teach what I had learned to the little babies, like the three year olds and the four year olds. So it was kind of a work exchange program, but it was pretty much a a scholarship that Brianna gave me because my parents were jazz musicians. You know, there was it was an artist income in Detroit, so we didn't have a lot. Our our upbringing was very humble and. Yeah, Brianna really gave me some very specific tools that set me up to be able to move to New York City.
1: Nice. Mm -hmm. So she kind of, she was like pretty much a mentor, so to speak.
0: A mentor, and she trained me. She gave me classical ballet training when everyone else said I was too old to start ballet. I started dancing ballet at like 15 or 16. and. Uh, by the time I was 18, I had trained with her for a couple of years and was able to audition for schools in New York City. And that led me to joining the Dance Theater of Harlem when I moved to New York. I graduated from high school and like a week later, I was in New York sleeping on my friend's floor in the Bronx.
1: <laughs> wow. You know, that's what I kind of like about the Bronx. It reminds me of Detroit. But now it's—I mean, Detroit do not even remind me of Detroit. The funny thing is, we do a lot of stories on cities, and um, and they kind of like we, you know, have a, a really great department for travel, and um, it was so amazing because, like you said, like Detroit is—I feel like when we say the word Detroit, I can smell the Texas, you know, the the Cass Tech area, like all that stuff. Like Detroit is so—it's so descriptive. Just saying the word Detroit. And the way we even talk and speak, it just really brings me home. So, like you say about the abandoned buildings, for me, those were times that were a little scary. But at the same time, we—I feel like we were in a gangster's paradise in a sense that we (laughs) kind of we lived in an illusion that we were like, okay. But if you really look around, when I was growing up, I was like, oh my god, like, is that really a needle on the ground? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was a lot going on. But if you really think about it, when I meet a lot of my friends in New York, they always say to me, "Oh my god, you from Detroit?" They're more scared of. Us than you know us of them because
0: I <laughs> people always ask me if I was carrying a weapon. I was like, no.
1: <laughs> so when you grew up in Detroit, you know, like the um, I have a lot of friends, and one of our music editors is Terry Dexter, and I and me and her to sneak into the St. Andrews, like you said, and she's an amazing singer. We probably all crossed paths for sure, um, because you know the city is huge but it's small, and um. I just know that she, I know her and a few of my other friends, because we all have these unique looks, it's either like your nose is too straight or you have this. Do you ever, ink or your color is too light, do you ever have any issues where you had to, uh, that you felt like you were in a place where you felt threatened or intimidated growing up there?
0: That is a conversation of colorism that happens in, I think, any um, community of brown folks. I want to be very sensitive when I have this conversation. I think colorism is something that is effect of slavery and systemic racism. And it is something, a tool that was utilized to be divisive within groups and communities of people of color. Um, and this is not just like Black and brown communities. It's Hispanic communities, this is Asian communities, you know, and that is something that is globally predominant. What I've learned in my experience traveling the world, colorism divides communities all over the world. So what I experienced in Detroit was that I was light-skinned with good hair. There was a lot, like I like I experienced a lot of hate because of it, and there was, There's nothing I can do about the way I was born. You know, I come from a a family of mixed cultures and mixed heritage. My father is Mexican and Black and my mother is Black and Irish and of of Indigenous descent as well. So I I came out looking like this. And what's beautiful about Brown communities and Brown peoples is that we come in a spectrum of colors. And through the gaze of systemic racism um, and how it's used to impact communities for economic structure, I experienced, the, I experienced negative effects from it. And I had to become very sympathetic to people who who projected how bad they felt about it onto me. You know, I had to realize this girl doesn't really hate me. She hates the fact that the society we live in makes her feel bad because of who she is and how she was born and how I was born. It I've had to, it's a very layered conversation, but um, like my family is from the darkest shades to the lightest shades. <laughs> and I love the way I grew up because, and I love the family that I grew up in because it allowed me to have a very deep sense of compassion and understanding of how, Colorism impacts societies of, um, or communities, I should say, of brown folks in such a divisive way and how to build compassion around the whole thing, you know?
1: Yeah, it does. I wanted to ask you that question because just like you said, my family was the same way and um, it was a lot of things that happened that were very uh, dramatic, to say the least. Um, But I wouldn't trade it for anything because I feel like that's that's the skin it gave me growing up. But it was very, it was a lot going on. Like you say, you know, growing up in Detroit, my dad was um was about your complexion. My parents both are deceased at the moment. Um, so they both passed away. But and and that's just been a big thing. But the great thing is I I told my parents, both of them we became best friends before um anything happened. And thank God for that, that I had a conversation and told them how much I appreciated them. Um and I really do. Because growing up in that city, I didn't see it as being as bad. Is it as when I return? <laughs> um, I didn't realize that, but because for me, you know, our families were like, you know, that was our community, like you said, you're block. We kind of all took care of one another. But there were a lot of gruesome things that I fell into, like you said, the you know, devil's night, the night before Halloween. Mm-hmm. You know, we already know we can't afford fi- I'm sorry, we can't afford firecrackers or fireworks. So we were doing stuff like putting gasoline on tennis balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you already know. You already know, know. You know. And unfortunately, we all did some silly stuff. I've seen people like cats on fire. I've had some, in my adolescence, I've done dumb stuff, and I wish I never did it, and I prayed to God on it. You know, unfortunately, we've all done some really silly things, but a lot of it stemmed from the fact I had nothing to do, and I had nothing to stimulate me. And then you found this ballet school to do that for you, and somebody believed in you at 15. A lot of ballet dancers, they'll um, start at, what, three to four? Yes. And by the time you see them, their feet, you know, didn't like mine. <laughs> it's crazy. And the intensity of that is just amazing. So but I want to make sure we touched on two things because you said a very valid thing. And people always try to put a bad stigma on that city, on our city. And it isn't. It's the farthest from the truth. Detroit is probably, and when, we, when you were growing up, especially, and probably when I grew up too, but Detroit is actually at one point, Detroit had just as many registered international citizens or residents rather as New York at one point. And people don't realize that it's, you know, that's international water, you know. Um, and Detroit was also, it was and still is home to a lot of very uh, you know, just a lot of powerful people from the auto industry, um, being near uh Gross Point. Mm-hmm. You already right know Rochester. I went to Cranberry Kingsville, Upper Bound. So I had an opportunity to get a scholarship to that program. And I was, and you mentioned Wayne State. So it's like the city has changed so much and it's gorgeous. Um, I love the new downtown. When's the last time have you been back to Detroit?
0: Oh, I actually went back to Detroit last year. I did. I have, uh, I don't know. I just, I feel so fortunate with my career. As long as I continue showing up, the universe just continues blessing me with opportunities. Like I just got to show up. I got a new agency. I'm now signed with state management in New York. It's a modeling agency here in New York. It's one of the biggest agencies in New York City and recognized in the world, and super fortunate to and grateful for my team with state management. But as soon as I signed with them last year, I got an opportunity to travel to Detroit for a little campaign for Chrysler. So, yeah, so I went back last year, and every time I go, I stay with my cousin Stephanie. <laughs> and. You know, cause I oh, I think last time I actually stayed at a hotel, but um, I see my family every time I go back. Every time I have the chance to go back, I just go visit with family, see a couple of friends. But I'm actually yeah. I actually get a lot of opportunity to go back and work.
1: Have you um when you yeah that's I knew were, I knew you were gonna say that because Detroit does have a very um a very intimate fashion community, right? Because John Varvatos is from Detroit, like. There's a lot of um, prominent um designers that are from Detroit and um Yeah. And then um do you have a favorite food when you go back to Detroit? Cuz you know Detroit has that you know we have a lot of, <laughs> We got them hot chips, some fago <laughs>
0: Um, okay, what they don't have in New York, which I am crazy about, chili cheese fries.
1: I love, that. I love chili cheese fries and loose burgers.
0: Chili cheese fries <laughs> from Coney Island in Detroit is my jam. There's also really good Mexican food on the southwest Side of Detroit. South
1: Side, that's what I was gonna tell you because yeah. you are probably not too far from that. I love that. Were you when you were you in middle school or elementary? Did they take you to those to the South Side to the Mexican Village when they were doing all that?
0: Well, my dad is a is a Latin jazz drummer, a musician. Mm-hmm. So he used to play at the restaurants. He used to play at Armando's when I was a kid. So we would go like every Thursday and go have like chimichangas at Armando's. But we're Mexican as well so like we were down in those communities anyways with with uh with the creatives and the musicians that were coming out of the Latin um there was a community center called Casa La Casa de Unidad the House of Unity and they did a lot of summer programs and street festivals and such that my dad was a part of as part of, like, a, a creative and a musician in the community. So we were on the southwest side of Detroit quite often. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I love the southwest side of Detroit. I, I mean, I love the Mexican food. Were, it was authentic. Honey, you know I, mean? I
0: need tacos to survive. Like, I need them.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's when, I, when I had my first experience of um, Detroit's cuisine, is, by the way, is a phenomenon. People don't even know this. And when I was a kid, they tried to chase me out of here but uh, you know, we we were always I did, I love holy food. I always love some of those sausages and the rotwurst. Um, and then you know, um, did you ever go to some of those places upstate, Michigan? Ah, uh, what do you call it? Frankenmove? Is it Frankenmove? Those German territories or German communities? Yeah. So Detroit. Um, I think if you go to the Henry Ford Museum, they have some very interesting um dining facilities there that kind of mimic that world. So just growing up around that Bavarian culture, and then like you said, you know, if you're Mexican. For me, you know, I was just like, "Oh my god, I love this food!" You know, I just never had anything like that, and I had, well, even Arabic food too. Remember, Arabic a lot. The culture in Detroit is quite thick. Um, and I was wondering, when you um, how old were you exactly when you started into the industry?
0: Into the fashion industry. Yes. So that happened when I moved to New York. I I mentioned I turned 18. I graduated from Cast Tech. A week later, I was sleeping on my friend's floor in the Bronx because Dance Theater of Harlem, which is a historically uh, black or I should say uh, a ballet company for people of color, is located here in Harlem. And it was founded by uh, the, the ballet dancer, the late ballet dancer, Arthur Mitchell, who's also a choreographer. And I went and took a summer program with DTH Dance Theater of Harlem, and they invited me to join the second company. I was pretty good for having only three years of ballet training. I was pretty good, so I, I joined Dance Theater of Harlem, and I trained with them professionally and did some local touring with them. Uh, but. That was when I was like 18, 19. And it was at that time, my friend whose floor I was sleeping on in the Bronx when I moved to New York, her name was Haia. And Haia was from Detroit as well, actually. And she was a phenomenal makeup artist. We Unfortunately, we're no longer in touch, but she was a phenomenal makeup artist. And she did some of my first test shoots. And she was like, you're so pretty. I want to get you on camera. I, at the time, I had big curly Afro. And she was like, you're so pretty. I want to get you on camera. So I was her muse and her model. And she taught me how to model, per se. Um, I should say that my twin sister, when I was a little bit younger in Detroit, she started taking pictures of me in our basement when she set up her photo studio. She's a photographer as well. And it kind of started my interest in modeling. But it was when I moved to New York and moved in Ohio that she kind of really planted the seed for me. I was dancing with Dance Theater of Harlem for a couple of years. My dad moved to New York. I moved in with him. Uh, being a young person, finding my identity uh, was a little rocky living with dad. So I was with Dance Theater of Harlem and then the company went bankrupt. I was This is after a couple of years, the company went bankrupt. And I decided I was going to leave school. I was at City College of New York. I was going to dance in the morning. And then in the evening, I was taking classes at City College of New York for, for English. And that was all in Harlem. So after the company, after Dance Theater went bankrupt, they went through these the change of artistic management, creative direction. Arthur Mitchell stepped down. Virginia Johnson stepped in. Uh, I left the company, as many dancers did at the time. And I left school and I decided I was going to start working at the coffee shop in Union Square. There are oh, discovered
1: wow. by Tyra Banks. her... Yes, right. You did work at the coffee shop, and so you probably you? do know Crystal Wong. Crystal Wong, that's one of my good friends. She's um, she's yes, she's half um Vietnamese and and black, and she's and her her dad used to live in Iran. and right. I remember and I said and that's why I'm like, why do I think I know her? Why don't you <laughs> now? I, that's why I've seen you in there. you, you you're a waitress, right?
0: I was a hostess and a waitress.
1: Hostess. At the right. Nice.
0: The funny thing about the coffee shop, it was this, you know, it was this New York City staple. You could go and get great diner food any time of day. It was over 24 hours and they only hired very beautiful people. That was the shtick. <laughs> I can talk about it now because the coffee shop is closed, <laughs> but They only hired beautiful people. So everyone that was working there were models, actors, dancers. There were a lot of performing artists, uh, comedians, writers. But it was such a creative pool of people. We were all young. We were all in our 20s. And everyone was hot and good looking. So Tyra Banks, uh, a team of casting directors. And they went around Union Square. They were going around New York. And they came to the coffee shop. And they took pictures of me. And a couple of other people. And I remember Laverne Cox was working there with me at the time. And we both auditioned for Top Model. And um, it was a wrap after that. I think everybody knows the story. (laughs) And my introduction to the fashion industry. Prior to Top Model, I had tried to get signed to a couple of agencies. Nobody really wanted me. Um, But then at the time, I I look back and I remember I wasn't very groomed at the time. I wasn't very polished. To, to show up as a model. Now I know what that looks like, but I remember going into casting agencies with like hot pink polka dot shoes and looking a mess, you know, just looking crazy. I didn't look like a model at all. They were like, yeah, we're going to pass. But the casting directors from Top Model, they clearly saw something in me and Tyra loved my look. So um, they had me on the show and then the rest is history. I, I won I won the show, which in itself was was a challenge. Reality TV was relatively still new at the time. I was lucky that they had cast a particularly very nice group of people, a nice group of girls. All I knew was that cameras were watching me 24 hours a day. So I had to be, I had to be on my P's and Q's and really be careful of what I said and be very conscious of the way I portrayed myself. There are a lot of things that the show didn't actually even air that was part of my daily routine. Like I was chanting and meditating. I'm a Buddhist. And like that didn't really make, that didn't make it to air. Um, at the time I used to smoke cigarettes. That didn't make it to air, you know. So th- there were things that that really I'm grateful for that really protected my image as a young person um, that Tyra did. Because a lot of people are like, oh, this the show slams me. The show slammed me. The show actually, I and I think in part it's because I won the show that they were so delicate with how I was edited but most of that was really just me just putting out really great positive energy as much as I could and I understood that it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity it was really an opportunity to represent something more than myself I didn't realize how big it was but I knew it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity
1: well for me what I remember of you on top model I was I mean we were all honestly we were all screaming Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we didn't really see a lot of these, you know, a lot of us from Detroit go on and do amazing things like that. And I do. And, I, and when you mentioned the coffee shop, that's when I was like, eh. I just kind of rewound. And I said to myself, wow, I'm, um, that is Naeem. And what I do love about you, too, is that you do transcend and you transform. And I was going to ask you, um, growing up in Detroit and having that experience, do you feel like you are able to utilize, or do you feel like that aided you on, on that show because like you said you're being taped all night long and that has to feel kind of strange I personally felt you did well you did amazing what I remember from you is you did amazing and I love the fact that you allowed them to play with your hair and do all that you were like really a, a blank canvas and you were very um you were very you know just fluid but do you feel like Detroit helped you on that on that journey I mean when you were on the show
0: One hundred percent, because people in Detroit hustle, and people in Detroit like do what you gotta do to like get it done. And I, it, it was also a work ethic that I inherited from my parents and from my grandparents. My grandparents are both were both very famous visual artists who were part of the modern art movement, and like my grandmother was a very famous sculptor her name is Elizabeth Catlett she influenced the world with her artwork and she was sculpting until she was 96 years old she was sculpting she was working in her st- her art studio until she died so she gave that to my parents my father my mother also had this very beautiful hardworking mentality that just came from being a detroiter and they gave that to me so when i went and i did the show One, there was a a very deep sense of compassion and humanism that I had from my parents because they raised me as a Buddhist. And there was this also very go-getter mentality, chase your dreams and do what you got to do to make those dreams come true. So I was working with both these parts of my personality that I really have to say that I owe credit to my parents and my grandparents for.
1: And what traits do you think you inherited from your parents in terms of your, um, physicalities? Because it was your dad or mom tall, your grandparents tall? Because you know, you, I'm like, I was doing research. And I was like, I was like, how tall is Naima? So, okay, <laughs> so I'm five nine and a half. Okay, actually, you know,
0: somebody, that was actually short in the it model in the fashion industry when I started. Like all the girls were like five eleven, you know. Um, but now things have changed. You can really be any height and be a model. From my parents, I look like my mom a lot. I look a lot like my mom. And people tell me I don't age. Oh. I credit, I credit <laughs> that to my mother. <laughs> Should she? Like, I still, like, I have to be honest. And I was talking to my hairstylist about this the other day. We were, you know, having, like, salon shop talk. And I was telling her, I still don't know how old my mom is. Like, I know she's in her 60s. But for a long time, she was, like, 30-something. And... <laughs> And I, I was like, I still don't know how old my mom is. She was like, I know it was kind of a generational thing. So my mom, she's just, she just has this beautiful fountain of youth that she has tapped into. And I genetically, and in my heart as well, inherited that from her because she lives life. She lives life with such a beautiful perspective. She's so young at heart she just moved to Mexico to retire with her wife, with her partner, and they have a beautiful little bungalow close to the beach with their little dogs. And she just, like, loves life. She sings every opportunity that she gets. And I think that that perspective and that love of life that she gave me really reflects in how how young I look still.
1: Why? Right, because, you know, I'm sure you've been in some situations where you felt like... What and that's what I was gonna ask you. Um, did you ever, when you're in, the, so in the industry, did you ever feel at some point that you were in a sticky situation? Because I've heard so many just very interesting stories, especially the people who you know who made a name for themselves, like you. They've been, I've run into a lot of people that had some very interesting situations, to say the least, where they felt like they were either they felt like they were violated or you know just intimidated. Or just spoken kind of, you know, spoken down to? Um, have you ever had a situation like that? If so, how did you handle it?
0: Oh, absolutely. I had the director of Ford Models call me and tell me that I was dispensable, that I was replaceable when I missed the casting, calling, screaming at me on the phone. I've had photographers try to cross the line that I had to advocate for myself. What's unfortunate about the fashion industry is that most of the models working in the fashion industry are very young. They're late teens, early 20s. Youth is still a high commodity in our social structure. So most models who are working are very young and they don't necessarily know how to advocate for themselves yet. There is no union for models. There is no protection for models. It's not like child actors where there has to be a certain hours of how long you work on set. I think just recently, if you're under... 17 if you're 16 or under you can only work like half a day as a model but there's not really a lot of regulation about what happens with modeling like i as i transcend into acting i noticed that you know there are things on set for actors like an intimacy coordinator that helps with very delicate situations but if a model is going into a magazine shoot and part of and there's nudity there there's no one regulating that and what is comfortable for the model i do um I think that like nude shoots are really beautiful. I think the physical human form is amazingly stunning to capture and if if that happens to be in a nude context, I think it can be done very artistically well. However, on the other side of that, there's no There's no intimacy coordinator. There's no one protecting the model on set. And if you're 22 being asked to do something like that, you don't necessarily know how to advocate for yourself vocally and say, this is what I feel comfortable and this is what I don't feel comfortable with. So, yes, I have been in those I have been in those situations. There were a lot of times where I felt taken advantage of and I didn't necessarily know how to advocate for myself. But it was a learning experience that I had that I had and now being the age that I am in my late 30s I'm at a point where I can say yes this is what I want to do no I don't want to do that I don't feel comfortable with this I don't like that makeup I don't like the way these clothes make me feel or look you know like part of the job is being able to be like you said fluid and transform and transcend and be amused but there's a, a delicate line where you can advocate for yourself whilst See, the problem is nobody wants to be a troublemaker, you know, and, and models, they're taught that if you vocalize yourself on set, then you're, you're causing trouble, right? And people may not want to work with you again after that. It's a fine line on saying, yes, I can do this wardrobe, but no, I don't feel comfortable in that, you know?
1: Do you feel like it's changing in the model's favor? Because like you said, I've heard some horror stories, like you said, um, especially when it comes to models or counts. And we all know there's a tremendous difference between the 10% you get taken out of your check from your agent and the acting side, and legitimate 20% side. 20% for models. It's, yeah, exactly. It's 20 plus 20. So it's kind of like, what? And then I heard CAA had instituted this new, you know, CAA fashion. They do this thing where they work with a lot of, you know, certain types of models. that have those clients like Mae Musk, Elon Musk's mom. She, um... She's with them. But I read, uh, read, read a story about it in Variety that they're doing 10% for certain models. Um, is that something that you think is we should, that you should get models we keep advocating for?
0: The problem is that things become industry standard and it's very hard to break industry standard if everyone else is doing it. And what most people don't realize is that most models are not making what May Musk is making. Most models are not making six figures for a day. You're making four, you know, and that's still a a substantial amount of money, you know, compared to what other people make. But part of the reason you get into this industry is because there is potential to make a lot of money, but it's very selective of who is making that amount of money. So agencies are making 20 percent. Right. And then they also get taxed. So. If your check is $1,000 and your agency is taking 20% of that and then they're getting taxed, 30% of that entertainment tax, they're not really walking home with a lot of money, right? So the idea is that, yes, your agent wants to advocate for you and get as much money as possible for the job, but it's really hard to change that industry standard when most models are not making $100,000, $200,000, $500,000 $100,000, $200,000, 500000 for a day at work. There's about like 20 girls in the industry that are doing that, and that's it. That's it.
1: How do you feel about some of those charges that you guys receive on your accounts? I heard sure. some of the, you know, that you know, you, when you have your accounts and your portfolios, mm-hmm. I've heard, um, you know, $400 for website fees for, you know what I'm saying? Like $4, $4 for $7 or $10 for uh, color copies. What are your thoughts with that? Do you think that's, do you feel like you're being taken advantage of or do you feel, you know?
0: So the way the modeling career is structured is you do have to invest in your career in order to get back. And essentially, I think you have to think about it as this is a write-off for my career. You know, like if you're working in construction and you need tools, to do the construction. It's the same thing. I need my tools, which are comp cards, photo shoots to show clients, this is how I photograph and to leave my cart with a client. And to be on a website is also my tool to show clients that go to my agency's website that I am available and ready to work. So I don't think that it's it's how much agencies are charging. Like I don't think eight hundred dollars to have your portfolio listed on a website every year is fair to the model. But if that's the agency that you're with and you agree with it, then that's kind of what you have to look at as your investment. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. And do you sometimes do you find because you are what we call you, as we, you know a vendor? Do you find yourself in situations you're now negotiating those rates to be lower, look lower?
0: There are parts of my contract that where I've learned like this is where I want exclusivity, this is where I want non-exclusivity, this is what I feel comfortable with. And I am very fortunate to be signed with State Management because they care for their models as human beings. <laughs> so, I it's the best agency I've ever been signed to, and I've been signed to a few of them, and I just feel really comfortable and I love their responsiveness if there's something that I feel uncomfortable with. I just, I feel empowered to voice that and the team responds as best as they can. So, it's
1: so amazing to hear because I know a lot of people, they say that they also have the, you know, have the direct opposite. And it's kind of unfortunate because, you know, it's an industry, like you said, it's like an industry where you can, you know, make a name for yourself and you can pull your, yourself up by your bootstraps. And the way you're looking at it and the way you handle things are all so professional, particularly when you explained about the marketing tools you need, right? And I think that's very important that, you know, you have to invest in yourself. So now um, I was going to ask you, what was one of your happiest days for of your career besides winning that competition, obviously? I wanted to know, like, when was your when, when was one of those days when you re- see the thing is with you, it's so special about you is that you're so like you're you okay you're so exotic to to people and it just makes my skin boil in so many ways because it's like I wanted to see even more of you in campaigns and I feel like. Now I'm speaking with you. I'm like, oh my God, I have seen him. Because you transform, you change your hair all the time. And I remember and you change your makeup. And I'd be like, this because you're such a punk. That's why you are you're very punk rockish. And you're very like that. And I forget all about that person that you know you were. But I love that. I love that energy. It was very, you know, like Tyra, she found it. But what was one of your, your real aha, I'm a I made it moments? Was it when you made like that six-figure check or that
0: eight-figure check? Honestly, the checks, the runway shows, the magazine editorials, meeting people, like here's the thing in response to what you said about, like I've done a substantial amount of work, substantial. And would I have liked to do more? Of course. But the industry is interesting because I am this very ambiguous looking person so when I when an agency has a casting right when an agency gets a casting notice from casting directors it's like send us all your black girls between the ages of 18 to 25 that fit size zero to four right that's the breakdown now we have to understand and I don't mean to say this in a negative way because people are just doing their job and they're flowing with the industry as the way they understand it this comes with what is very stereotypical of what that looks like, right? That breakdown looks like. So I'll show up to the casting and everybody else there is a little bit more darker than me. They don't, like the casting directors don't understand how is she black. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it doesn't see, they don't necessarily see the wide range of what that can look like. Or I'll show up to like a casting for all Latina, right? I What they're looking for when they say Latina is like, Eva Longoria, you know what I mean? Like Selena Gomez, like that type of look. Um, So while I have this Mexican indigenous background that is very, very part of who I am, it doesn't translate because the way I was born, the way I show up looks very ambiguous. So... What's beautiful about my experience is that I've gotten the opportunity to take that for what it is and create instead of being rejected. Instead of being rejected, I use it as an opportunity to say, okay, if I'm not booking work because this is going on in the industry, then I'm going to start creating. And what's interesting is that the industry is actually looking for people like me now, 20 years later after I started my, like after I started my career. But the beautiful thing is that People are telling me now that I or was a pioneer in this androgynous, ambiguous type of person in the fashion and beauty industry.
1: And, and you still are. You still are. And you should embrace that because Amira is, was one too. Remember Amira from Boss Model? I can't pronounce her name right. But oh, God. Uh, yeah, Amira. I, I love her. I really yeah. loved, yes, I loved her and changed clothes. I loved her in X Men, that little part. And I I just remember I kept seeing you on, like I saw you on something on TV every once in a while. I was like, where is she at? Where is she at? But like, I keep forgetting too, you do have a very strong, unique look. And if you put long hair, I could walk by you. You, I would never know that some of those pictures that I found online, and I do have to say, um, we all know there's a lot of suppression going on in digital, you know, eradication when it comes to people of color and um, just marginalized communities in general. But I was so happy, honestly, I was really happy to see that you were still Googleable, that you were still that I was able to see so much work. Because I'm sure if you Google some people, you're like, where they stuff at. But I was like, oh my God. So I'm so happy for you that you've been able to keep a digital strong presence, right? And then sometimes yeah. I watch your TikToks too. And I think that's important, especially because you're moving with the time.
0: Yeah. What I what I think is important is to yes, be move with the times, but also when like the entertainment industry, the fashion industry is one of those industries you can't wait for people to give you a handout. You have to create what it is that you want to make out of your career. And when I was younger, I didn't necessarily understand that I was just doing, and now I understand that I really want to create with intention and purpose, and really refine what it is that I'm offering the industry still, because I'm still working very much. So actually, as soon as we hang up, I'm going to a fitting for a cat, for a fashion week show that I'm closing this week, and um, like oh, wait, we have to, have to wrap to up you know? in the next. We got to wrap up in the next five <laughs> minutes. But um, the silver lining is that. This industry has encouraged me to create content that makes my career so long lasting. Like when I found it difficult to be getting booked as a model, nobody wanted to work with me when I first started because I was on reality TV and it was too taboo. I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start hosting shows. I'm going to do television work. I toured my book. I did a TED talk. I won, um, awards I have the key to the city of Cincinnati I was recognized by the Black caucus of, of California I had the key to this I had the um the spirit of Detroit award like I, and these are all from my my work and creating content that was for the embetterment of humanity because I use my platform as a tool to really inspire people the way I have been inspired and It's funny, like, have I done a Gucci campaign ever in my life? No, but it doesn't matter because I have impacted the world in different ways. I get DMs from people like all the time telling me, I named my daughter after you because of what you did and and the contribution you've made to pop culture and the contribution you've made to the world just being yourself. Or my mom named me after you when she saw you on TV like 20 years ago, which is crazy. And these people who watch my career blossom are now telling me how much of an impact I've had on them. And it's just so inspiring for me to just keep going and and following dreams that I still want to make possible. Make like I still want to create so many, so much of my life. Beautiful, androgynous, uh ambiguous, biracial, like queer, fluid type of person who's just really just living in who I am as a human being. And it's in this season that I'm starting to receive the most recognition I've ever gotten in my career. And it feels fabulous. And-
1: it, is, it is, and you deserve it. And I'm so happy that, that you're that you giving yourself permission to enjoy the moment. And I'm so happy for that because I was really waiting for you to say this because I really wanted you to say that. I'm so proud of you.
0: Thank Seriously. you. Thanks.
1: You know, going to Detroit and just seeing you blossom like this, it's like, you you deserve it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You know, and it's like, it's, I just want to continue being a testament of what is possible. No one said that I could model into my thirties. I'll be 40 in a couple months. Like no one said I could do that. And I did it anyways, and I'm still doing it. And I just want to continue being a testament of what is possible for people to look at and really stand in my power and stand in my grace, my creativity, my intelligence, and my beauty proudly and Mm -hmm. say to people that you can do the same thing for yourself.